Modern medicine is an amazing blessing, isn't it? Uh, thinking about all the, the things that we don't have to experience because of modern medicine is comforting. Uh, we get sick, we go to the doctor, he gives us a prescription, we take it, we get better. Seems like uh, this is somewhat of a miracle. It certainly would have been a few years back. Wouldn't it be great if you could just take a uh, pill of some, court, uh, some sort whenever you are discouraged spiritually or, or dry or struggling in your prayer life or, or having a hard time staying consistent in your private worship? You just pop this pill and two days later, you're back into the saddle, spiritually speaking. You are in the groove again. Wouldn't that be awesome? I would buy a few of those pills, <clears throat> a lot of pills. Well, today I'm going to prescribe a, a spiritual pill for all that is spiritually ailing you. Do you have some spiritual ailments, possibly? Are you feeling a little bit dry? Are you a little concerned about your lack of prayer, your lack of interest in telling others of Christ, your lack of passion for God? Well, today is your day. I'm going to prescribe a pill. All you got to do is take it. All you got to do is take the pill. All right? And this isn't the matrix pill. This is, this is a pill that will actually fix your spiritual problem. So <clears throat> we're going to get back into Psalm 119. If you have a Bible, open it there. It'll fall right open. Just put it in your lap and let, let go. It'll open to Psalm 119. I think we've been there long enough for your Bible to do that. If it falls open to Hebrews, don't get alarmed. Um, we were there for a while also. But uh, last week, if you'll remember, we, we looked closely at the verse that spoke to us about sojourning. And uh, I tried to explain to you what sojourning is and how, I, how that is important, that, that pilgrim mentality to maintain if we're going to uh, have a successful Christian pilgrimage. That was in verse 19, and today we're going to look at verse 20. And I, I tried to explain to you last week why our sermons are sounding uh, topical, because I think you've gotten used to expositional verse-by-verse -verse preaching that really exposits a verse and, and, and dissects that verse for what it is. Uh, this is, this is a little bit different territory for us as a church because we're used to the other, but we are actually working through this stanza topic by topic because that's the way the Hebrew mind is working here. We have to understand the topics to understand the stanza to understand the chapter. And so if you're really critically concerned about um, expositional preaching, stand back and look at the sermon series as one expositional sermon. It's just one long sermon, two-year-long sermon, and it is going to exposit Psalm 119. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Um, and I'm going to repeat that instruction from time to time just so that, that um, everybody present understands our strategy. But uh, we are into the third stanza, the Gimel stanza. Remember, they, they have titled each of these stanzas containing eight verses with a, a letter from the Hebrew alphabet, 
Okay, so this is the, th the third stanza, and the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Gimel. So every sentence in this verse in the Hebrew language starts with the letter Gimel. And they did that so that the people who were reading these things could memorize them easily. Okay, and there's more, there's more memory aids along uh, that I'll, you know, let you know about in the future. But for now, keep that in mind. This is the Gimel stanza, and each stanza has a topic or a theme that's supporting the whole of the chapter. And this particular stanza, the Gimel stanza, verses 17 through 24, is trying to encourage the, the person who is um, committed to pursuing holiness, the person who loves God, the person who wants to follow God, they're going to run into some difficulty. They're going to be ostracized potentially from their friends and family who don't want to pursue holiness. They may be even slandered. Uh, they may be even mistreated, persecuted. Like last week, I, des I described for you the martyrdom of Polycarp. Because he was in pursuit of God, pursuit of holiness, people in his day didn't like it, so they killed him. And so those of us who are going to pursue God are going to run into difficulties from the world. And this stanza is describing the difficulties and, and giving us some tools on how to navigate those things. All right? So <clears throat> if we're going to spiritually survive in this hostile world, we're going to need certain affections. If we're going to spiritually grow as a sojourner, um, in this environment, we're going to need certain affections. If we're going to glorify God with our lives in this world, we're going to need certain affections. And the affections are hinted at in verse 20. Let me read it for you. Right after acknowledging that he was a sojourner, the author says, my soul is consumed with longing. He's describing an affection, a desire of the heart. And what's he long for? Your rules at all times. So a sojourner's affections will be towards God and God's word. Um, you remember hearing Psalm 42.1. You probably remember singing it sometime in the 80s. Uh, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. That's the idea. That's the, that's the heart desire, the passion, the affection that the psalmist is describing here in verse 20. It's a, it's a soul that pants for God, that pants for his word, that can't get enough of it. And so I want to, to uh, make three points from this verse today. And the first is this. I want to describe for you the nature of sojourning affection, the nature of it. A true, a true sojourner, I think, can be identified by his or her desires. I can get into a five-minute conversation with you if you allow me to direct the conversation, and I could tell whether or not you are a sojourner, whether or not you have a sojourner's mentality, whether or not you have the affections of a sojourner. Um, true godliness, Spurgeon said, lies very much in desires. You want to know whether or not you're a godly person, whether or not you're in pursuit of holiness? Examine your desires. What do you want? That reveals the heart. Do you lack godly desires? Do you, do you long for such longings? Do you want to want those things? If you 
have the Spirit of God in your soul, then your answer is yes. I want those things. I don't have enough of those things. Please tell me how I can have more. Today's your day. I'm going to tell you. And I hope that the Holy Spirit, in his grace and mercy, will open our hearts and minds to be able to see these things. So the first thing of the nature of a sojourner's affections is the object. What is the object of a sojourner's affections? And it's in the, what's the word say here in this verse? It's consumed with your rules. Remember, this is just a synonym for God's word, your rules. That, that is the object of the sojourner's desire. He says, I'm consumed with it. I'm consumed with the word of God. The, the book of Psalms begins with this encouragement. The blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on, on his law he meditates day and night. That's what the, the book of Psalms is about. It's, it's, a, it's a hymnal. It's a prayer book that reflects the, the, the heart of the sojourner. And then, of course, in the, in the psalm we're in, 119, it begins with this. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And so the object of the sojourner's passion, desires, and affection is God's word. That's what we're interested in. Uh, and, of course, our focus on God's word is not an end in itself. Uh, we don't get any brownie points for memorizing this book. We don't get any brownie points for being able to win Bible trivia con uh, contests. The, the, the object of focusing on the word of God is not the scriptures, but the Lord of the scriptures. We're after the author here. That's what we're pursuing and so the object of our desires is really an inexhaustible spring that we can return to repeatedly over and over and drink until we are full. Um, and it, this spring contains, of course, everything that God desires for us, joy, peace, comfort, etc. Um, <clears throat> the longing of the soul can, can never outreach this book. Um, we're never going to find ourselves saying, ah, I know all that. I, I know everything there is to know about the Gospel of John. The, the greatest exegetes that have ever lived, the greatest theologians who've ever walked this planet would never say those kind of things because this is a bottomless uh, well for the longing soul. So what is the goal of the sojourning affection. Sanctification, all right, that's a large word that simply means spiritual growth, becoming like Jesus, Christ-likeness. So the goal of sojourning affection, the reason we have this is because we want to become like Jesus. And so that desire uh, urges us forward in our pursuit of God and pursuit of holiness through his the understanding of his word. You heard this, this verse read earlier in the day, and you're going to hear it about five more times because this is really a wonderful explanation of this particular verse in Psalm 119.20. The apostle Peter said this in his first epistle, chapter 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk 
that by it you may grow up. That's the phrase. By it you may grow up. What's the goal of sojourner's affection? Growing up. <laughs> becoming mature, becoming like Jesus. And how do we do that? By taking in the word continually. Um, this is the goal of every single book in the Bible. It's the, the point of every story. Um, it's the spiritual growth in the life of the sojourner that produces fruit. Remember what Jesus said just before he left this planet? The will of my Father is that you produce much fruit. And so that is the goal of the believer, to, to mature, to become fruit-bearing saints. How about the heart? This is the next issue I want to describe concerning the nature of sojourning affection is the heart of it. Uh, first of all, the, it's an earnest heart. It's a heart that's serious about this pursuit, about this um, desire for God. Uh, it's an earnest heart. It's genuine. You know, um, the sojourner knows, the, the person who is seeking God, they know that, that um, God is the only one who can see the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, right? We, can, we recognize outward things, and because of that, we can fool one another. We can come in with a smile, and we can leave with a smile, and no one knows the pain within, right? And so God is not like that. He, he, he is, we're transparent to him. He sees right into the deepest part, the deepest recess of the soul. And so if we're going to be a person passionately pursuing God, affectionately desiring his word, don't you think God knows whether or not what we're doing is real or not? I think yeah, of course, he does. He's, he's God. He, he sees all. He knows all, including the intentions of your heart. And so uh, you may be able to play games with your spouse and your family and your fellow church members, but you can't play games with God. He knows. And I've, I've encouraged those of you who are game players before to not do so. You're really wasting your time here if you're a game player. Um, to, to say that you're a sojourner and have a sojourner's affection just so that you can fool other sojourners and be accepted in a sojourner's group really is counterproductive. It calluses the heart. And it doesn't fool God. The, the sojourner's heart is earnest like the psalmist writes in Psalm 84, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. What are the courts of the Lord? Here, the worship service. Uh, my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Is that a description of your heart? That's a sojourner's heart. It's also a consistent heart. Why don't we have a fervor towards the word that lasts more than a day or two? Have you ever noticed that dilemma? Uh, you have hot and cold streaks in your Christian life. You have days where you can't get enough of your Bible reading, and then days it's like, eh. Um, if your desire for God's word is inconsistent, it may be because you think that God's word is too simplistic. 
I'm beyond that stuff, man. I'm into philosophy and, you know, it's kind of basic stuff there, for God's love the world. It may, your inconsistency may be because you only value God's word in adversity. Do you ever notice that? Things get tough, where do you run? I better read some Bible. I'm going to go open that thing up and I read, 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 read. And hopefully the adversity goes away or the inconsistency inconsistency may be rooted in an uneasy conscience. You ever experienced that? Feel a little guilt, so what do you do? Until the guilt goes away. It may be because we're curious in some way about the word. Maybe we're going to, we know we're going to get into a debate with a, uh, a fellow Christian about a certain doctrine, and man, you're going you're gonna to shore up so you can win that debate. Is that Maybe some of the reason for your inconsistency, you, wanna, you want to, you know, discover some particular piece of information. You, you're having difficulties with your teenage child, and so, man, you're going to read Psalms and Proverbs a hundred times until you find it. How to deal with a rebellious teenager. Um, these are all reasons for inconsistency, right? But let me try to explain the, the soul like I had before with you uh, by describing it as a reservoir. Each of our souls is a reservoir and that reservoir is either full or empty and either draining or being filled. And the only thing that fills the reservoir is the word. And so the Christian life, the, the, the reservoir of the soul needs to be continually being filled with the word of God if we're going to live a passionate, sojourning, affectionate life. Because if you stop filling the reservoir, what happens? Down it goes. Your resources go away. Spiritual resources evaporate, you know. So in order to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, we need that constant flow of God's word running into our reservoir. And the heart of a genuine sojourner is earnest, it's consistent, and notice in verse 20, it says, at all times. Not when things get tough. Not when you're going to enter a debate. Not when you're, you know, looking for some philosophical nugget that you can post on Facebook. Um... How about the effects of sojourning? Still talking about the nature of sojourning. Actually, sojourner's affection. One of the effects of sojourning affection. If you have a sojourner's desire for the things of God, how will it affect your life? And these are things just to identify, all right? Trying to help you identify for yourself where your heart is. Um, first of all, it will draw your heart away from earthly things. If you have a sojourner's heart for God, if you have sojourner's affection for God's word, then that will draw your heart away from earthly things. Have you ever noticed that when you're in God's word, you're more able to resist temptation? Have you ever discovered that in your Christian life? Do you think there's a chance of a connection there? Yes, all right, yes, there is, and that is the point. 
The more you are in God's word, the less you're going to fall into temptation or fall into sin. So the effects of the sojourning affection is that it draws your hearts away from earthly things. Secondly, it forces the use of means to gain the knowledge of the word of God in a similar way that waterfowl are forced by their instincts to migrate north or south at the appropriate times of year. So if you have a sojourner's affection for the things of God, for God's word, for God himself, you will be compelled into the word by instinct. And we're going to get into the instinct issue here in a little second, a little bit, but that's one of the effects. Listen to this proverb in uh, chapter 8 where the, the author is describing wisdom and the author says, blessed is the one who listens to me, and that is listens to wisdom. And how do they listen? They watch at my door day by day, waiting beside my doorway. So if the, uh, one of the effects of a sojourning affection is forcing us to, to use the means of gaining knowledge of Jesus Christ in the word of God, how are we going to do that? How is that one who's seeking wisdom going to get wisdom? They sit at wisdom's door and they wait and they watch. The same way that you're going to gain the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his word. You're going to get to where that word is delivered and wait and watch. Anticipate. Long for. Have your notepad. Be ready. That's what's happening here. Being in prayer is a means of communion with God. Being in Christian fellowship is a means of encouragement in your spiritual life. God uses means in the life of his people to move us from point A to point B. Now let's look at the reasons. We've looked at the nature of sojourning affection. What are the reasons for sojourning affection towards God and his word? Uh, Why does this happen? Well, first of all, it describes us, doesn't it? If we're truly sojourners, doesn't that affection describe us? Let me tell you how. Um, First of all, like I just mentioned, by natural instinct, back to 1 Peter 2, it says this, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Do you know that that appetite is an effect of life? You don't have to teach your children to get hungry. You know, you need to be hungry now, dear. It happens naturally. Uh, A long time ago, we owned a, a purebred yellow lab and we bred her four times and each time she produced 11 puppies. So she had 44 puppies in all. And of those 44 puppies, 44 all found their mother's milk. Without instruction, no puppy seminars. All somehow, it's like a magnet. And they're there. That seems funny, maybe. But why is it as Christians we can't find the source? Why can't we latch on? 
We're wandering around in the world, looking for every other source of nourishment, can't find mom's milk. So if there is no draw towards God's word, what can that possibly mean? 1 Peter 2, like newborn infants. All newborn infants seek milk. If you're not seeking milk, what's that mean? Spiritually speaking. If I have no instincts that draw me toward God, what is the problem? I think it's obvious. You see, the first reason for sojourning affection towards God and His Word, it describes our natural instincts. We will be people who seek God if we're in Christ. It will be natural. Secondly, it describes our experience. Back to 2 Peter 2 again. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now here's verse 3. If indeed you have tasted this, that the Lord is good. If you have tasted something good, you will go back to it and back to it and back to it. I have been to New York teriyaki probably 15 times in my life. And I've had one dish at New York teriyaki. It's number 11. <laughs> it's beef and pork teriyaki. I found when I first went in, I like it, and I'm going back to it. I'm not going to try that other stuff I can't pronounce. I'm going to stick with this one. Because I like it. And that's the same with the Word of God. If indeed you have tasted that it's good, guess what? You will come back to it. Over and over and over again. Wanting more of God. Wanting more of the Holy Spirit. Wanting more of his blessing. Wanting more of his glory. You see, the unsaved person has never experienced fellowship with God. And has no interest in returning. Um, that, that is so true. They, they don't recognize the worth of the word, the, the worth of fellowship with saints, the worth of uh, communion with the Holy Spirit. L listen to this amazing verse from James 1. I, I love this verse, James 1, verses 18 through 19. Of his own will he brought us forth. Whose will? God's will. How were you born? By God. Of his own will he brought us forth. How? By the word of truth. Do you know how you were converted? The Holy Spirit took the word into your ears, penetrated your heart, and converted your soul. That's how. Holy Spirit did it. I just read it for you. Of his will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we, would, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved. Let every person be quick to hear. So a person that's been converted, a person who has been transformed by the Holy Spirit through the word of truth, what's, what's the first thing they do? They're quick to hear the word. They'll go back to the word. They'll want to hear it again and again. It's our experience. L listen to the psalmist, Psalm 19. 
The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true, the righteous altogether, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, also sweeter than honey. Listen to this guy's experience. The word of God is better than fine gold. It's better than honey. How can he say that? Because he's tasted it. He knows. He's going back to that same well. So the, the reasons for sojourning affection towards God is it describes our natural instinct and our experience. Secondly, it's necessary that the sojourner recognizes their daily need. Uh, we, we have a need of God's word, and, and it's called the word of life in Scripture for a reason. It brings spiritual life. Um, the, the word is also called bread. It's called water. The, uh, the character Job in his book uh, describes the word of God as his food, his sustenance. Jesus said during his temptation in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This John Owen, speaking of our need, this is a long quote, so hang with me. John Owen, from his book uh, uh, on communion with God, says the following. The natural man tries to spin out a web of holiness from his own fleshly efforts. Such men begin with great determination and follow this with vows and duties and resolutions and self-denials. In this way, they continue for a while their hypocrisy, for the most part, an ending in apostasy. The saints of God, on the other hand, as they begin to walk with God, realize their need of these things. Saints see their need of the spirit of holiness to dwell in them. Saints see their need of the habit of holiness to be infused into them. Saints see their need of actual assistance to enable them to do the good works which God has planned for them to do. Saints know that if these three things are lacking, they can never with all their might, power, and effort do one act of holiness before the Lord. They know that of themselves they are not sufficient for these things. They know that without Christ they can do nothing. Therefore, they look to Jesus. And this is their communion with with him in their life of sanctification and holiness. Friends, Owen is saying, those of us who are truly sojourners know it. We need God and his word. And we will not try to, to travel this road of pilgrimage that we are on on our own. We will come to the word. We will take the word with us. That we will understand that the Holy Spirit uses the word of God in the life of, a, of the sojourner to accomplish his will. So if you are starving yourself of God's word, your spiritual growth, friends, will be severely stunted. You will not grow. You will remain in spiritual infancy if you've been born. The sojourner loves all the things of God. God's word being from God is the only reason we need to love it. Right? So why do you love your spouse? Are the reasons you love your spouse shallow? I love my spouse because she's really cute. How's that going to go when I'm 65? Not too well, is it? You see, we love the Word of God because it's God's Word. Not because we can win a debate with it. 
or we can drop a philosophical bomb on Facebook. It's because God has written the word to sustain us. That's why. Let me give you some closing exhortations. Uh, for those of you who are sojourners and those of you who wish you were, here's some closing exhortations. The first one is to avoid complacency. And let me tell you something, friends, as your pastor, I have concerns with the potential of spiritual saturation here at Sun Valley Church. Spiritual saturation is the condition of being so inundated with spiritual things, one loses their sensitivity to the real importance of what we're receiving week in and week out. Um, I want to say this, but there's a potential for misunderstanding. Many people attend churches week in and week out and never receive an ounce of what you receive every single week. And we can get complacent to it. And that's a fear of mine as a pastor. In reality, of course, you cannot get too much gospel or too much Christ or too much uh, word, too many sermons about the gospel of Christ in the word. But you may have so much gospel in Christ that you become indifferent to the preciousness of Christ and the gospel. It's like silver in Solomon's day. You remember? Silver was so common in Solomon's day, they threw it in the streets. It was of no value. It was like a stone. It, this is... So why is gold and silver precious to us today? I mean, precious in the secular sense. Why is it precious? Because there's not much of it around. And so we are attracted to it. It reminds me of a video I saw on Pioneer Bible Translator's website about a Papua New Guinea tribesman who received a copy of the Word of God in his own language for the first time, and he happened to be the chief and threw a national holiday for his people, commemorated by a parade with him at the front of it, holding the Bible high and dancing in his garb. I want that kind of enthusiasm for the Word of God in my own life, let alone in yours. Friends, we have a, an abundance of God and His Word here at this church, and I don't want it to become commonplace so that it becomes mundane in your life. What I'm saying doesn't mean that I plan to preach less Christ or, or less gospel so that you don't become callous to those things, but it does mean that I think you need to check your heart occasionally to be sure you haven't grown cold and complacent over these precious truths. And what better day to examine your heart than when we provide the Lord's Supper? Examine your heart. Is this just mundane to you? The great Tertullian said, plenty lessens the price of things. 
So how can you tell if you've grown spiritually complacent? I've got a couple ideas for you to consider. You take in the word less than more. If you see a decreasing amount of intake of the word of God, it's a red light flashing on your spiritual dashboard saying, pull up. We got a problem. You're low on oil. If you take the word of God in less than more, um, nothing really sounds all that enticing when your stomach is full. I understand that. But in days gone by, God would judge spiritual apathy by removing the available options for the intake of his word. He would, there would be a dry spell with no prophets. And you know what that would do? It would cause the people to come begging and pleading to God for his word. In our day and age, when we can, with a click of the mouse, get any kind of preaching we want and any kind of book we want, download it to our Kindle, um, I think God uses a different method, a different strategy to draw in your heart. I, I think that God actually dries up your soul more and more, even in this environment, until you recognize your apathetic condition. You wake up one day and realize that your interest in spiritual things has died off and your focus in life is mostly on earthly things. Is that where you are? If this is your condition, you may scare yourself a little bit um, by the way you might respond to a crisis. Anxiety, panic, you know, fixing. Is that your first response to crisis? then there's a good chance you become spiritually apathetic. There's a good chance if that's your response, then you might have become spiritually complacent. This, this kind of thing might scare you, and that's God's way of drawing you back to himself. Um, next way you might recognize some spiritual complacency is that you require pithy writing tantalizing, edgy, or crafty sermons to stay interested. If the writer or preacher can't entertain you, you doze off. You put down the book. You start thinking about other things during the sermon. You start thinking about your meal preparations, your long list of to-dos this coming week. You start processing all these worldly things why? Because you're spiritually complacent. That's why. Paul calls this type of thing, the, the pithy writing, the tantalizing, edgy, crafty sermonizing, a tickling of the ears, is what he told Timothy it was. He says, in the last days, this kind of thing's be very common. Because very few people are sojourning, the only way to get them into a building is entertain them. You know, let's have the pastor ride a motorcycle down the, down the aisle here and, and then talk about something stupid. Let's, let's have all sorts of things that we can entertain people. A bounce house. Let's have a you know, pie-throwing contest. Let's have elders wrestling on the stage. And, and that is by the way, happening today in churches. It's because people don't have soldiers' affections. 
How else are you going to get them in the door? How else are you going to pretend to have church? <laughs> Friends, if, if you require pithy writing, tantalizing, edgy, crafty sermonizing, th then the following verse may be a concern to you. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Have you heard that before today? Okay, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. What does that mean? This word is saying, the use of this word in the original language, saying that if you were born into the family of God, you will desire, you will long for pure spiritual milk, and that simply means plain, simple, and unmixed milk. That's what the word pure means. No sugar added. Thomas Manton said this, a plain, solid truth is more suitable to a gracious heart. Do you have a gracious heart? Do you have a heart that has an affection towards God? This interest in the novel or edgy demonstrates what could be spiritual complacency being dissatisfied with the basic teachings of the word and always looking for more creative, radical interpretation could be, not always, but could be a concerning sign. Paul told his primary disciple, Timothy, who was a pastor in a church of Ephesus this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Sound familiar? I think this condition is the very thing that Paul addresses to the pastors and teachers in the church in Ephesus in chapter 4 when he says, make sure you teach sound doctrine, make sure you teach basic things for the antidote against those who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Stick to the basics is what Paul told Timothy. So ways that you can recognize if you have a complacent spiritual heart is you take in the word less than more, you require pithy writing and tantalizing sermons, and thirdly, there's a real, actual, real battle in your mind and your heart to determine the best source of input for life's decisions. You, you actually find yourself weighing secular opinion versus the wisdom revealed in God's word, and you're the judge. Well, uh, my psychologist says this, but God's word says this. Our, our family counselor says this, but God's word says this. Now, um, if that is actually being processed as a legitimate choice, you are spiritually complacent. There is no choice between secular and divine wisdom. There's no choice. Secular wisdom has always contradicted divine wisdom. Don't be surprised. Isaiah speaks of this often. Every, every book in the Bible speaks of this kind of thing often. Spiritual complacency, friend, is a massive enemy to those of us who actually do want to pursue God, who do want to want. 
So avoid complacency. Secondly, and finally, pursue fervency. That's the opposite of complacency, right? Why do we pursue fervency? I've already mentioned this, but because it's the word of God. <laughs> it's not the word of man. Um, Isaiah 26, 8, in the paths of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Where? In the paths of your judgments. In the word of God, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are desires of our heart. It's not about getting to know the, it's, this is, this stuff is so basic. This is the pill I was talking to you about earlier. Friends, unless you're willing to take the pill of the word of God on a regular basis, you will continue in your spiritual sickness. So pursue fervency because it's God's word. Secondly, because of the benefits offered from there. Now, I I hesitate to say the benefits because God is the benefit, right? God is the joy of our souls. In his presence is where there's pleasure forevermore. The things that I'm going to describe for you now are just the benefits of knowing God, the benefits of reading his word. So please don't confuse the two. Our pursuit is of God, and when we do that, there's benefits. Okay? These are the benefits. First, God's word gives guidance. Do you need guidance? You wandering around in the dark a lot? Well, most of us are, which is why the psalmist says this in chapter 19, verse 8, the praises precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. It clears up our vision, clears up our thinking when we read the word. Um, You know these brain pills that are all over the place now, Uh, like focus factor and so forth? This is the better brain pill, the word of God, right? You want clarity? Sure, go ahead and buy your focus factor if you want, but uh, it's not going to clarify anything. Make me keep you awake longer, I don't know. But it's not going to clarify anything. The Word of God is the clarifier, according to its own witness. Secondly, we get comfort from the Word of God. God's Word is a communication of God Himself, and He is what? The God of all comfort. Do you desire comfort in your life for different things? I know you do. We all have pains and, you know, memories that are hurtful. Do we need comfort in those situations and those times? I think we do, and the Word of God gives that. Things like this, Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you. Have you been left? Have you been abandoned at some point in your life? God will never. How about this? You struggle with temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That's not common to man. You're not unique. God is faithful in your temptation, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure under it. Friends, God is there in our temptation, in our struggles. He knows. He's been there. He's walked in our shoes. Psalm 84, I'm talking about how the word of God comforts those who will pursue him. For the Lord... God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So it gives comfort. And finally, it gives strength. The word of God gives strength. And I know I can vouch for this on a daily basis. 
I need spiritual strength. Acts chapter 20 tells us where to find it. And now I commend to you God and to the word of his grace. God and his word, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You want to be built up in your faith, in your Christian walk? It's not, it's not rocket science. It lies in a book called the Bible. Let's pray together. Father, we are so blessed. You have over-blessed us, in fact. Uh, we have so much more than we need. Uh, you have given us all things for life and godliness. You've given us every means, every tool by which we can know you more, by which we can live more faithfully where we can grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, and yet we find ourselves wandering in a wasteland, it seems like, more often than not. I pray for Sun Valley Church. I pray for the people in this room. Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would apply these truths that have their roots in Psalm 119, verse 20. That tells us that the sojourner is one who's consumed with the word of God at all times. God, we want to be those kind of people. I want that to be the definition of those who attend this church. That we are consumed with God and his word. Oh, God, be gracious to us as a church, to individuals who attend this church. Be merciful and grant this request. We want to be these kind of people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.